Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. This is a deep dive episode, if you didn't already know, by the title that I gave this episode. (laughs) I did not plan on doing a deep dive this week. And if I was going to do it, I was certainly not going to do it about Anna Nicole Smith. But then I spent my whole day reading about her and watching all these YouTube videos and watching a couple documentaries about her. And I totally, first of all, fell in love with her and also realized how little I knew about somebody who I thought I knew a lot about. Like I grew up hearing about Anna Nicole Smith all the time, all the time. And Then when I started researching her, I realized the only things I really knew is that she was a playmate, that she married a really old rich guy, and that she died young. Those were the only things I knew about her. So it was super, super fascinating to learn about her. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it because if you're anything like me, which I assume you are because you're here, you love an early 2000s starlet. It's my favorite category of person. And I love listening to deep dive episode, like deep dive podcasts. Any podcast that I listen to is usually about a topic that I'm interested in, but don't want to do the research about. And if you're in that boat about Anna Nicole Smith, you're really interested in her, want to know about her life, don't want to do the research. Well, I have your back because I did all of it. So come with me as we learn about her weird and tough and tragic life And I do want to put a trigger warning at the beginning because this episode, we're going to talk about drugs and abuse and death and all those scary, bad, hard things. So if you're not into that, um, I'll see you next week. And I also want to clarify something. So Anna Nicole Smith was born Vicky Lynn Hogan, and I'm just going to call her Anna Nicole or Anna throughout the episode. Like for the first half of her story, she was going by Vicky Lynn, but it's just confusing and I don't want to change her name halfway through. So when I talk about her, it's always going to be Anna. So that's all I have. That's the only intro. I have no announcements, no anything else. Let's get into the life of Anna Nicole Smith. So like I said, Anna Nicole Smith was born Vicki Lynn Hogan on November 28th, 1967 in Houston, Texas. She is the only daughter daughter of Virgie and Donald Hogan, but she does have five half-siblings on her father's side. None of those half-siblings are Hulk Hogan, by the way. At first, when I saw that her real last name was Hogan, I thought, of course, she's related to Hulk Hogan. And then I looked up Hulk Hogan, and his real last name is Bolea. Actually, his name is Terry Eugene Bolea, in case you were curious about that. Anyway, her mom, Virgie, was only 16 when she gave birth to Anna Nicole. And later, her mom became a sheriff's deputy. And everybody around them said that Virgie was a very classic sheriff's deputy. She was stern. She was no nonsense. And Anna said later on in her life that she was abused in almost every way by her mother. So since things were obviously not great between Anna and her mother, she was sent to Mejia, Texas to live with her aunt and her cousins. Mejia is spelled M-E-X-I-A. So it could be said Mexia. But everything I read about it, everyone was calling it Mejia. Actually, one of their slogans is, it's a great town no matter how you pronounce it. So I'm pretty sure there's not a wrong way, but I'm going to call it Mejia. So Mejia is a small town in kind of east central Texas. I don't know. It's mostly central, kind of the east uh, Texas with a steady population of about 7,000 people. So when Anna Nicole was growing up there, there was only about 6,800 people in the whole city. 
So in ninth grade, which was 1981, she failed her freshman year and she ended up dropping out. She was severely bullied and she decided not to continue school and she moved in with one of her best friends. So since she had dropped out, she decided that it was time to just get a job and start working. And this is when she got her job at a local fried chicken restaurant called Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken, which, by the way, is still there. And it has four and a half stars on Yelp. So if you find yourself in Mejia, Texas, seems like Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken is still pretty good. Looks like just kind of a classic fried chicken joint, you know, coleslaw, mac and cheese. Everything's like two dollars. Looks pretty good, actually. So Anna Nicole's life in Mejia was very small town. She said herself in a 2020 interview that she did later on that the only thing to do in Mejia was something they called the drag, which was just driving up and down the main street, drinking beer and talking to people. That was literally all they did. They didn't have bowling alleys or movie theaters. It was very, very small town. And from a really early age, from her teenage years, she wanted to get out of there. She didn't want to stay, you know, kind of the classic Hollywood story that we always hear trying to get out of your small town. But she's working at James Crispy Fried Chicken. They call it Crispy's. And this is where she meets Billy Smith. He was a cook there and they got married pretty fast. She was only 17 when they got married and he was actually only 16, but she did take his last name and she was now going by Vicki Smith. Again, I'm calling her Anna because that's what we know her as. So then in 1984, they have their first son and they name him Daniel. And she said that when she got pregnant, she was feeling lonely and that's why she wanted to have a baby. And I got to say, I mean, she was young, so it's not like she knew better, but not a great reason to have a baby. You know, I feel like people have all these reasons for having babies. You know, they want a friend. They're a little lonely. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks. They think a baby is going to help them. I just feel like you should have a baby when the thing you want to do is raise a child. But again, she was very young. She didn't know any better. I just wanted to put my two cents in there. So then after Daniel is born, she decides that she's going to leave Billy and move back to Houston with her mom. So she moves back in with her mom. She gets a job at Walmart. She also gets a job at Red Lobster and she still cannot make ends meet. So she's looking for another job and turns out that Houston in the 80s was very wild. I did not know this, but gentlemen's clubs actually originated in the Houston area, like the big sprawling kind of luxury gentlemen's clubs. Houston was the first city to have a ton of them. Also, fun fact, breast enhancement surgery was developed in Houston. So since there's all these gentlemen's clubs going up, Anna Nicole walks into one thinking that she can get a server job. She does not know at the time that it is a topless bar, but she gets the job and she heads to work. And her first night there, she actually runs out scream crying because she was so self-conscious. She was so introverted. She did not like being on display for people. It made her very uncomfortable. But she said that she was driving away from the club and she looked down in her lap and she had $50 and it was the most money she had had in so long. And she knew she had to go back. So she went and she started crushing it. She developed this kind of baby talk voice that she would use on guys that really worked for her. She was extremely uh, flat chested. So she started saving money to get her boobs done. And once she got her boobs done, the big bucks started rolling in. She was just this super tall, thick, curvy, voluptuous, big boob, blonde hair, Texas woman. And she cleaned up at all of these gentlemen's clubs. She started working the day shift at a different club called Gigi's in addition to her gig at the executive suite. And she continued to kind of second guess if this lifestyle was going to be for her. She was a single mom. She was making good money, but she still felt kind of ashamed of it. She didn't know if it was going to work out for her long term. But then during her day shift at Gigi's, Jay Howard Marshall walks into the club and this 87-year-old billionaire is about to change her life. J. Howard Marshall, who I'm just going to call Howard because I see I saw it a lot of different ways. Some people call him J. Some people call him J. Howard. Some people just call him Marshall, which is very confusing because that's his last name, but it also sounds like a first name. Anyway, I'm just going to call him Howard. So let's talk about his background. He was Yale educated and he worked on the Roosevelt administration on oil projects, which eventually led him to working with the Koch brothers. And that's where he becomes a billionaire. If you're not sure what the Koch brothers do or what Coke industries are. By the way, it's Coke, K-O-C-H. It's not Coke like Coke products. 
it's Coke Industries. And honestly, I looked it up and I'm sure there's like a lot of cool, interesting things about it. But basically what I'm gathering is that it's Waystar Royco from Succession. So that's who he's working for. He becomes a billionaire. He has a couple marriages, pops out a couple kids, but his second wife ends up being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Howard becomes extremely lonely. She declines very quickly, but she's not, she hasn't died yet when he begins a relationship with an exotic stripper named Lady Walker. Lady, I think it's Diane Walker. I can't remember what her real first name is, but he begins this relationship with her and she said herself, and he also said that they were not going to have sex. It was, there, it was not a sexual relationship. He thought it was inappropriate to sleep with her while his wife was alive. What a, what a gentleman. Your wife is dying of Alzheimer's and you're not sleeping around? Wow. What a, what a pillar of the community. Anyway, but they didn't have a sexual relationship at all. Howard just spent millions of dollars on her. He would write her love letters and send her money and pay for surgeries. And it was this weird kind of protection role that he liked having over her. He didn't want anything sexual. He just wanted to give her money. And for reasons of my own, I would like to know where to find somebody like this. Anyway, Lady Walker ends up dying on the table when she's getting a facelift. And then Howard's wife also dies. So he's grief stricken. He's trying to get back on his feet. And I'm guessing his friends take him to this gentleman's club. It's a weird place to go right after you lose two women in your life, but whatever. I don't know exactly how much time passed. So he walks into Gigi's and he sees Anna Nicole. Immediately, he asks her to dance for him and she likes him. She says that he's very smart, he's kind, he's likable. And everybody around them agreed. They said that he was gentle, smart, loving. And they started this relationship where they were just kind of taking care of each other is how Anna Nicole put it at the beginning. He was helping her financially. She was helping him with his grief. I have absolutely no clue if that meant that they were physical, but basically he really loved her and he wanted to take care of her and she loved him. Her friends even said that she looked at him like kind of a grandfather figure. Like it wasn't like she looked at him and immediately knew that she wanted to marry him, but she did have this connection with him that everybody in their lives confirmed. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Way. All right, let me let me talk to you guys about a throwback situation. So early 2020, I got the worst haircut of my life, and that began my hair growth journey, which means I've had to take care of every part of my hair. That means taking the right supplements, using the right products, and taking care of my scalp. All of those things affect my hair growth. And I, you guys already know this, Way has been my go-to for all my hair care stuff for years because hair care is more than just about styling. You need a daily hair and scalp health regimen that can make a huge difference. And Way's new scalp serum and thick and full supplements are a complete solution for promoting the appearance of thicker, fuller, healthier hair. It's all I want. That is truly, it's truly all I want. The scalp serum is a daily scalp serum that can be used day or night with wet or dry hair. It soothes irritation from tight ponytails and excessive hair detangling, and it keeps your hair feeling strong. And then they've got the thick and full supplements that are vegan one-a-day supplements with no flavor that support that thick, healthy hair and reduce the appearance of shedding and support hair strength. So grow all the way with Way's scalp serum and thick and full supplements. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and use the code BAD to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, code BAD. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Liquid IV. So there are a few things that I do every single day. One of them is I wash my face and I brush my teeth. Another one is I treat myself a little bit. I eat something delicious. And another one is that I stay on my hydration game. It is critical to my well-being. I feel like it helps me keep a clear head. It gives me energy. And that is why I use, seriously, I use it almost every day, liquid IV. It fits right into my daily routine. I usually start my day with the energy one that's lemon ginger flavor. That one's my favorite flavor, but I've been traveling a lot. So I've been trying to keep the immune boosting one on me too. I have it in every corner of my house. It's also extremely easy to travel with. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. 
It also contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. What makes liquid IV so effective? Well, they've got CTT, otherwise known as cellular transport technology, which is designed to enhance rapid absorption of water and other key ingredients into the bloodstream. So grab liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code BAD. That's 25% off of anything you order when you use promo code BAD at liquidiv.com. Experience better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code BAD. Hi guys, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian, parent educator, and mom. And this is the Meaningful Living Podcast, here to make parenthood and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. We bring on all our favorite experts and friends and answer all your questions. And ours. To break it all down into the simple and reliable tools, tricks, and answers. We get into the real side of it, parenthood, relationships, you name it. So join us every Monday at Meaningful Living, that's meaningful with two L's, for conversations that will leave you feeling way more confident. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. So Pierce Marshall, who is Howard's son, wants to put an end to it right away. Obviously, I feel like if I had a 90 year old billionaire dad and he started dating a 25 year old exotic dancer, I would maybe be a little bit worried. I don't blame them at all. But Howard says, you got to butt out because she makes me happy. Howard then asks Anna Nicole to marry him, but she says no because she wanted to be on her own financially before they made that decision. She did not want people to say that she was a gold digger. She never wanted people to think that they had a relationship for his money. And by all accounts, that's true. She didn't really care about his money. She did just want to have a relationship with him and she felt felt very safe with him. So she says no to his marriage proposal and unbeknownst to Howard, She's really saying no because she's in love with somebody else and she's in love with a woman. So a few months earlier, Anna and Nicole had gone out to a gay bar. And at this point, she's full blonde bombshell. So all eyes are obviously on her when she walks into this bar. But she can't take her eyes off of a woman named Sandy. Sandy is super kind of unglamorous and down to earth and very normal. She's a cashier at a gardening store. But Anna Nicole is totally smitten with her. She shows up at Sandy's house in a limo. She started buying her gifts. She said that they were in love and that the relationship was very loving. Sandy never said anything disparaging about Anna Nicole, even after her death. And she continues to say how kind and how loving she was, even though their relationship was tumultuous and riddled with fights. But I thought this was really interesting what Sandy said of Anna Nicole. She said, I don't know if she ever believed anyone really loved her. She was just hungry for love, hungry for approval, just a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Doesn't that just break your heart? It seems like she really wanted relationships with people and trusted the wrong people to take care of her. So Sandy and Anna do break up when Sandy finds out that Anna was consistently unfaithful. Well, not even really unfaithful, but she was in full on relationships with other men and women. And I don't know how else to say this, but at this point in Anna Nicole's life, I mean, she's just live, laugh, loving. She is eating and drinking freely. She's spending tons of money. She's interested in all types of people. She's dating. She has all these relationships. It just seems like her life was full of all these things. And one man that she was dating was named Eric Redding, and he was a Houston-based photographer. He ended up taking pictures of her, and he thought they were amazing. So he sent the film all over the country. The very next day, Playboy calls him and they say that this woman is going to be a total star. She's going to be a playmate and we need to shoot her immediately. I should clarify they meant with a camera. That sentence sounded weird. Anyway, so in March of 1992 is her first ever Playboy cover. And this is where Paul Marciano, who was working for Guest Jeans, came into the picture. He sees her jaw drops immediately taken with this bombshell. And he says that they need to officially change her name to Anna Nicole Smith. She was Vicki Smith at the time because remember her first husband's last name was Smith. So she had taken that and they add Anna Nicole. It's funny because it doesn't seem like Anna Nicole is like a way more glamorous name than Vicki. Like Anna Nicole is kind of a boring name. I mean, we just know her as Anna Nicole Smith. So obviously that's what we picture. But 
Anna Nicole, it's just a weird direction to take it. Anyway, Paul puts her in his guest jeans campaign, and this is where she rockets into stardom, mainly because people hadn't seen this type of body before. This is like the Kate Moss era. So to have somebody voluptuous and, you know, big boobs, fake blonde hair, it wasn't something that people had seen a lot. Also, she was 5'11 and she was a size 10. Even now, that's rare. I know that we have a lot of like, you know, inclusive whatever and plus size models, things like that. But it's still pretty rare. So back then, you can imagine it was extremely unique to see somebody who looked like this. But she did become kind of this overnight icon thanks to this guest jeans campaign. And the guest jeans campaign, you guys, it is so glam. It is so glamorous. And Playboy continues to hire her. And she's eventually named Playmate of the Year. At this point in her career, it seems like she really nailed how to perform. She was all performance all the time. And I, I've mentioned this before in other like deep dives that we've done or just talking about these, you know, early 2000s starlets, even some celebrities now, they want you to think that they are dumb, but they are not dumb. They know exactly what they're doing. They're performing. Everything is, I don't want to say calculated because that sounds malicious. It's not always malicious, but Anna Nicole Smith was a very smart person and she knew how to work a room, work a crowd, work a photographer, work a man. She knew how to do all of this. A lot of people said that when she talked to you, she made you feel special. And I think that is, first of all, it's such a gift. It's such like, we've all talked to people like that, who, when you're talking to them, you feel like you are the only person they want to be talking to. And you would literally do anything for them. (laughs) And it seems like Anna Nicole was this type of person. But again, I cannot overstate how much the people in her life backed up that she was truly kind and caring and wanted to take care of people around her. She was not doing this to be malicious. It seems like from the very start, she wanted to earn money. She wanted to be able to take care of her kids. She wanted to be out on her own. She wanted to get out of small town, Texas. She was going to do what she needed to do to get that paycheck. So her career is rolling right along and she starts modeling overseas. She actually was in an H&M ad that was in, I believe, France. It might have been England. You'll have to fact check me. But Parliament had to debate if it was even safe to have the billboard up because it was a threat to public safety because people were crashing their cars because they were so distracted by the Anna Nicole Smith ad. It was super sexy. People were just smitten with her. There was an international fascination. So while things are going well, this is when she decides to move to Los Angeles full time and she's signed by the William Morris Agency. She wants to break into acting. We see this all the time. People get their start in Playboy, other sexy modeling gigs, and they decide that they want to break in to acting. So her first movie is called The Hudsucker Proxy. It's a 1994 movie directed by the Coen brothers, actually. Never even heard of it. Uh, It stars Paul Newman, and Anna got a small part as an exotic dancer named Zaza. So she gets this part, and she starts on her talk show kind of rotation, all the press junkets, and she's sparkling. She's va-va-voom. People are loving her. She also gets a part in a movie called Naked Gun 33 and a Third. Never heard of it, but apparently she did well. People really, really liked her. And they thought that she was going to kind of find her niche as the new Jane Mansfield. If you don't know who Jane Mansfield is, she's a sex symbol and a playmate of the late 50s and early 60s. And she was actually one of the very first playmates, along with Marilyn Monroe and Betty Page. She appeared in Playboy a ton, and she was playmate of the year in 1955. Also, if we ever get a biopic about Jane Mansfield, please let Michelle Williams play her because they do look identical. Anyway, that's kind of the direction that people saw Anna Nicole Smith's life going in, that she was going to kind of be a small time actress, uh, but mostly known for being kind of a bombshell. But as we'll see, this is about the time in her life where things start down the wrong path, I would say. So she has breast implants at this point. Obviously, I think she's had two when she was in Naked Gun 33 and a third. And her implants started hurting her back so badly that she was prescribed pain pills. She accidentally overdoses actually really early on in her career, but she's still, you know, okay. She doesn't go into hiding. She doesn't stop doing press tours, anything like that. Journalists keep asking her what's happening. And she's adamant that she doesn't use drugs recreationally and that people were trying to make her into the next Marilyn Monroe. But it wasn't really just the public who was comparing them. Anna herself was very public about her admiration for Marilyn Monroe. She said that they had a special bond. She said that there were times in her life that she wished Marilyn was her mom. It seemed like she really wanted to kind of just follow in her footsteps. She wanted to be exactly like Marilyn. 
maybe even to a fault. So after she kind of has her foothold on her career and after four years of turning him down, she agrees to marry J. Howard Marshall. They have an intimate but pretty extravagant wedding and he can't even stand at this point. I mean, he's old. He can't he can't stand out of his wheelchair uh, when they're walking down the aisle. She was only 26 when she married the 89-year-old billionaire and they even consult a fertility specialist. By all accounts, she loved him. She she really did. I can't find anything. I mean, obviously we can all look at this and say, yeah, she wanted the money. And I'm sure she kept that close to the vest. You know, she probably did want some of the money, but I think she also really cared about him. But Howard's son Pierce at this point is extremely worried about what his inheritance is going to look like now that Anna Nicole is permanently in the picture. He even hires a private investigator to spy on them. But she really didn't seem to care about the money, according to all the people closest to them. She was happy. She made him happy. But obviously, anybody with a brain would look at this and feel some worry. So in 1995, Howard is put in the hospital and Pierce, his son, enacts his power of attorney. And Pierce gives the legal guardian role to Marshall's caregiver. He does not give it to Anna Nicole. Anna is immediately cut off financially when Howard goes into the hospital because Pierce is now in charge of all of his finances and she could only ever visit him for 30 minutes a day. Armed security would kick her out and she said that he would be reaching for her. She would be sobbing, reaching for him and she would get pulled away from him. Eventually, Howard does die in the hospital at the age of 90. They were only married for one year. Immediately after his death, like immediately drama starts between Anna Nicole and the family. They even have to go to court because they can't decide if he should be cremated or buried. So Anna finally agrees upon cremation, which is what the family wanted. And the rift between the family and Anna is so bad that they even have two separate funerals. They literally split his ashes up so that they can have two separate funerals. And in the middle of this, while Anna is still mourning the death of her husband, she gets the probably devastating news that Howard had not even mentioned Anna in his will. So Pierce was getting everything. And I feel like this was probably just an oversight. It could have been Pierce, you know, manipulating his dad when he was dying to not put Anna in the will. I don't think that it was Howard doing anything malicious, but you just never know. Either way, Anna was not in the will. Anna sues Pierce and the public feud begins. You've got the bombshell and the billionaire and they're going to war over this fortune. And Anna at this point is struggling to provide for herself and her son. She was acting, but it was just going okay. And she wanted to break into more serious acting roles. She had been typecast, obviously, because she was the blonde bombshell. But she got the chance to break out of her typecast when she was put into a movie called To the Limit, where she plays a CIA double agent. And it did not go well. But she really wanted to be a serious actor. So she makes another movie called Skyscraper. And that one didn't even air in the United States. It only played overseas. I think this is really interesting. And I'm going to use Margot Robbie as an example because she was somebody who was super typecast at the very beginning of her career. And I think her first movie or one of her first movies was Wolf of Wall Street, where she's completely naked and she's obviously just cast as sex appeal. That's really her only role. But it was interesting to see where her career went after that. Obviously, she wanted to take acting more seriously, but it doesn't come without sacrifices. And I think you have to basically sacrifice being in the public eye at all. Like Margot Robbie is super famous. Do you ever hear about her? Do you ever hear gossip about her? No, because I think she puts a lot of effort into staying really hidden. Because when you're one of those women and you exist in the public eye, more likely than not, people are going to make up their own narratives about you and kind of write your story for you and not let you get out of that role. We saw it happen with Anna Nicole Smith. I think a lot of the you know younger generations like Lindsay Lohan, we saw with her, she couldn't get out of it. They just can't get into those serious acting roles because they're seen as just like kind of a pop culture figure. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by PhD Feminine Health. All right, swimsuit season is right around the corner. I think for a lot of us, it's actually already here. And that means hot weather, tight swimsuits, and sweat. And also a lot of movement going on in those tight swimsuits with that sweat. And all of that together can cause feminine odor. Luckily, there are plenty of ways to combat summertime vaginal odor. PhD Boric Acid Suppositories are the number one doctor-recommended brand of boric acid suppositories for 
vaginal odor. It's nothing to be embarrassed of. In fact, most smells that come from a vagina are normal, but this is for the ones that you don't want or the ones that need to be taken care of. You know what I'm saying. PhD offers trustworthy feminine care products that actually work because when you have feminine issues, you want a solution immediately. PhD believes that vaginal care is crucial to your overall well-being. So register now at phdfeminineinhealth.com slash win to enter to receive a free summer gift basket, which contains lifestyle products that have a retail value of over $100 plus a $500 Visa gift card. That's pretty amazing. I'm going to enter myself. So go to phdfeminineinhealth.com slash win to enter to win that contest. And you can also get 20% off of all of their products right now when you use the code BAD. Again, that's phdfeminineinhealth.com slash win and enter the code BAD for 20% off of all products. Anyway, her movies are not going well and she's just not doing well overall. She's physically sick all the time. She's mentally not doing very great and her career isn't going the way she planned. This is when she meets Howard K. Stern, not Howard Stern, the talk show host. This is a different Howard Stern. And he becomes her confidant and her consultant. But she's still having a lot of problems physically. She doesn't just need help with her career and things like that. She's having a lot of problems with her breast implants to the point where it ruptures inside of her and she's rushed to the ER and in tremendous pain. She also starts having really bad migraines, seizures, and intense back pain. And this is when she is on so many prescription drugs, she ends up slipping into a coma. I think this is what caused her permanent kind of slurred speech. If you listen to her talk in her later interviews, even before kind of the heavy drug use started, she kind of speaks like in a slurred way. Like she sounds like a little bit drunk all the time, but I'm assuming that it's something that was caused during this time of her life. She's also not doing well financially. And this is when she files for bankruptcy. When she files bankruptcy, the California federal bankruptcy judges find that Pierce, Howard's son, was conspiring with his lawyer and his accountant to try and cheat Anna out of her portion of Howard's fortune which means she is now being rewarded almost $450 million. Not a bad gig. When you're filing for bankruptcy and they come back and they say, hey, actually, we've got $450 million for you. That's a good day. But she's not completely out of the woods yet because other lawsuits are going on in Texas. This was the lawsuit going on in California. Pierce had also sued her in Texas. But she's not worried because she's going to get back on top of her career. She does a 2020 interview. I think I mentioned it early in the episode, and she's going to set the record straight about her husband and why she married him. She talks about how at the beginning, she never wanted anybody to think she was a gold digger. That's why she kept declining his marriage proposals and why she didn't want to marry him because she was going to be sure that she had her own money before she married this billionaire. Which is really sad because in the end, she was just called a gold digger because she was fighting for her half of the money, which obviously people are going to say that makes her look like a gold digger. But she really was devastated when he died. And even if there was a type of transaction, this is what I just kept thinking every time. Like, even if she was in it for the money, they still loved each other. Like, it seems like this guy was so rich. He had so much money. It probably wasn't even a second thought to him. He had been giving women millions of dollars in the past. He didn't really care. He just wanted to be with somebody who loved him and wanted to take care of him. So in 2001, she heads back to court with Pierce. His lawyer cross-examined her so intensely and with really the only intention of frustrating her. And she cracked under the pressure in court. And she had gone from the jury really pulling for her and being on her side to them completely turning on her and it looking like she was not going to get even one dollar from her late husband. So at this point, her mental health and her physical health are probably at an all-time low, but also so is the money. So she needs to find some cash quick and she signs a deal for a reality show, which is a pretty new concept at the time because it was really like the Osbournes. It was Nick and Jessica on the newlyweds. It's kind of It was kind of like this last ditch effort to stay relevant. I feel like for these celebrities who were slowly fading away, they were giving them reality shows to kind of reinvigorate their career. And Anna Nicole learned early on that the more bizarre her behavior, the more she was in the spotlight and the more money she made. That is like the cycle of death. Honestly, I feel like this same thing happened with Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes, that they found out that if they were being ridiculous in public, 
they were staying in headlines and they could make money off of that. And then people around them started figuring that out too. And they started putting them in situations where they had to act erratically, therefore getting on the cover of magazines, selling stories, making money. You get what I'm saying? So anyway, Anna Nicole's reality show airs. It's called the Anna. I think it's called the Anna Nicole show. Yeah. I think it's the Anna Nicole show, not just the Anna show. But season one airs, season two tanks, and it eventually gets canceled. And she goes into hiding. Well, you know, like she kind of, she just, she becomes a hermit. She's not in the public eye. She reemerges two years later with a contract from Trim Spa, which was a diet pill. And she was 70 pounds lighter. So, you know, at this point, people don't think diet pills are that bad for you. So I'm sure it looks like she's kind of getting on top of her game. Then she goes to the Kentucky Derby and she meets Larry Burkhead. He's a photographer and they hit it off instantly. She was smitten with him. They kiss the first time they meet. And before either of them knew it, they were living together. Anna was living with her son, her assistant, Kim, and her attorney, that Howard Stern guy. Howard was her publicist, her agent, kind of the go-to person for Anna Nicole. And Larry, her new boyfriend who had just moved in, was absolutely not okay with this. Larry would say of Howard that he was purposely filling Anna Nicole's head with suspicions of Larry, and he was also facilitating her prescription drug abuse. Larry, still to this day, says that he never saw Anna Nicole do any illegal drugs, only prescriptions. And I feel like there's something to be said of that. I feel like people always think that prescription drugs are not as bad for you as other things, things that like aren't legal, wink, wink. And a lot of times prescription drugs are the very worst things that you can put in your body. Anyway, so she's using all of these prescription drugs. And in 2004, Larry sees Anna have a seizure for the first time. It's actually the night before she is set to present at the 2004 AMAs. Larry thought that she should cancel it because she had just had a seizure, but she really did not want to cancel it. Unfortunately, she goes through with her presenting spot and it's actually very, very, very sad, but I'm going to play the audio from it so you can kind of hear where she was at when she was presenting on stage. Anna Nicole Smith. to be on our next performer's new video. And if I ever record an album, I want this guy to produce my, make me beautiful duets. It's just, it's so extremely sad to see where she was. And it seemed like Larry was the only one who really was concerned about her health. It seemed like everybody else around her was cool with her doing whatever, as long as they got their 30% of what she was making. So she's getting all of this really weird press after this, obviously. And this is when she finds out that her case against Pierce is going to the Supreme Court. And Anna Nicole Smith herself is going to have to appear in front of the Supreme Court, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is going to write eventually the Supreme Court's opinion on the case. So RBG writes this and she states that they can continue their litigation in lower courts. So nothing really exciting happened with the Supreme Court, but it just it went there and then it got sent back down to the lower courts. The never ending court cases were really taking a toll on Anna, but... In the middle of all of this, she finds out that she is pregnant with Larry's child. Of course, who else would it be besides her longtime live-in boyfriend? But rumors started up that Larry was trying to ensnare her with this pregnancy and get her money. She started believing these rumors, a lot of which were fueled by none other than Howard K. Stern. She started whistling a different tune about Larry, and she started saying, leave me alone, you're not even the father. 
She then runs away to the Bahamas in June 2006 with Howard K. Stern. Her son is in L.A. with a family friend, Ray Martino, and he didn't like the people who were around his mom. Her, her son, Daniel, didn't like the people who were always around his mom. She was always rushed. She could only call in the middle of the night. And she always had people kind of controlling her schedule, what she did, what she ate, what she wore, all of that. It sounds to me, I mean, now that we're a little bit more familiar with this term, it sounds like they wanted to get her into a conservatorship or they were just trying to force her into one. So her son is really not liking this, but she's in the Bahamas with Howard. And on September 7th, 2006, Anna Nicole gives birth in the Bahamas to her daughter, Danny Lynn. At her side is Howard K. Stern, who is filming everything. And I mean everything. He is in there filming every piece of her labor and delivery, which ended up actually being a C-section. And he was in there filming it and then sold it to entertainment tonight. That seems a little bit weird, right? So Daniel flies down to meet his new baby sister and see his mom while she recovers from her C-section. And Daniel is sitting in a chair across the room at 6.20 in the morning when the nurse sees Daniel tending to his mother. He lays down in bed next to her and trigger warning, this is extremely, extremely sad. At 9.30 a.m., Anna Nicole wakes up and Daniel is asleep by her side. So she starts nudging him to try and get him to wake up. She then realizes that he's not breathing and he's completely cold. So she calls her nurse and by the time they get there, it's too late. Daniel has died in the bed with his mother after she's given birth. So, so devastatingly tragic. Of course, during this, cameras do not stop rolling. They take pictures of absolutely everything. And Howard Stern ends up, I should say Howard K. Stern. I don't want it to get mixed up with the other Howard Stern. Howard K. Stern sells the last photos of Daniel with his mother and with his new baby sister to In Touch Magazine for $400,000. It's like, I can't imagine a worse tragedy than losing one of your children while you're laying in bed with another child you just gave birth to. Can you, can you even imagine the grief? So now that it's so publicized, people become suspicious of Daniel's death. They start wondering how he could have died by her side without her knowing. The autopsy states that Daniel died from a lethal combination of Lexapro, Zoloft, and methadone. He had a prescription for Lexapro, and he was also prescribed Zoloft for his flight. But nobody knows where the methadone comes from, except for the fact that Anna Nicole was prescribed methadone. This gets some questioning, but it really does not get investigated any deeper. Um, I can't find anything that says that anybody was charged with anything. It just kind of fizzled out. I'm assuming that at this point in Anna Nicole's life, I don't think that she could handle a crime investigation. She had already been through the ringer with all of these lawsuits. She just gave birth and she just lost her oldest son. It's, it's like beyond. It's beyond tragic. So even after this tragedy, there's a question of the paternity because Howard is the one who is on the birth certificate and he was with Anna Nicole while she gave birth in the Bahamas. And if you remember all the time leading up to the birth, she was telling Larry, you're not the father, get away from me. So people don't know for sure. And Larry is still very confident that he is the father. So of course, Howard Stern says that they should get a paternity test, but they should go on Larry King to announce it. Is it just me or any time there is a woman who's quote unquote crazy. There's always a guy behind it managing all of it and kind of running the show and making sure that things are happening the way that he wants them to. You know what I mean? So he's saying, let's go on Larry King. Let's get a paternity test and let's tell everybody that I'm the father. Mind you, she just lost her son. And this weird like lawyer slash friend slash boyfriend slash child's father is now saying, let's go on Larry King to talk more about this. Like, obviously he had one thing in mind and it was not if Anna Nicole was okay. Daniel dying devastated Anna Nicole. I mean, it really, really did. A lot of people in her life said that when that happened, she could not go on. And if you look back to the small town girl in Texas who had just had her baby, who was trying to make ends meet, who showed up at the gentleman's club, you know that from the very beginning of this woman's career, she just wanted to make a good life for her kid. And losing him was beyond tragedy. It was beyond tragic for her. So to help her, Anna's friend, Christine, 
Aroshevitz, who is a doctor and a psychologist, starts writing Anna more prescriptions and she does not skimp on the ones that she is prescribing her. She writes a prescription for chloral hydrate. And instead of taking just one dose, Anna Nicole would oftentimes chug a bottle of it in one sitting. It's a liquid. The only bright spot of this time of her life was that she found a support system in the Bahamas. It seems like she just craved family so badly. So she met this guy named King and a lady named Brigitte, and they took her in. This must have been such a welcome relief from what she had been going through. She had no paparazzi. She was able to go out on the boat. She was able to just spend time with her daughter. She was grieving. It seems like this was probably the best place for her. And the people in the Bahamas who were taking care of her, they really did just love her. She was trying to be happy again. She was spending time with her friends on the water, on the beach. A lot of her friends said at this point is when she stopped talking about dying. She stopped talking about how she wanted to die. And she started talking about the future with her child. She even started talking about how she wanted to buy her own boat. So, of course, Howard, who for some reason is still in the picture, starts looking for a boat. And he says that he finds one in in Florida and he needs Anna to come with him to get it. So on February 5th, 2007, she leaves the Bahamas with Howard her bodyguard, and her doctor, this Aroshevitz lady. And they leave Danny Lynn with the nanny in the Bahamas. That morning, she takes HGH and B12 on her left side. She's been doing this for a while to maintain her weight. HGH is, I think that's human growth hormones, isn't that? I'm assuming they did it like on her butt cheek. So her left side starts hurting and she gets 105 degree fever, which in adults is like astronomical. She knows she's not okay. Everybody around her knows that she's not okay, but she refuses to go to the hospital and nobody fights her on it. She didn't want to be a headline. She was done with it. This was only five months after her son died. She had just given birth. She was not ready to be a headline. She's extremely sick at this point. She's not eating. She's sleeping a lot. And she started smelling weird. Her bodyguard said that she started having this odor. He looked at her left side and it's now infected. So she's confused, she's weak, she's sick, and she's telling her friends not to leave her because she doesn't know if she can make it. Where does Howard go at this point? Is he sitting by Anna Nicole's bedside making sure that she recovers? Is he calling doctors to come see her at home? No, Howard went to see the boat. He went to see the boat. So after about an hour or so, Brigitte, who was her friend from the Bahamas who came with them, walks in to check on her and he sees that she's not breathing. Nobody calls 911. Nobody, not one person calls 911. They call Mo, her bodyguard, who calls Howard, who also doesn't call 911 for 45 minutes. The paramedics finally get to her and they begin the workup and Howard gets home and is having a complete come apart. My gut says that he's freaking out because he probably knows that he did something wrong. So he calls the doctor, Oroshevitz, who prescribed her all of those prescriptions And he tells her what's going on. And that's when the doctor tells him that Anna is on 10 different prescriptions, all prescribed by her. Some of them are not under her name, though, but she is on 10. So finally, Anna gets taken to the ER and outside of the hospital is a total media frenzy. And at 2.49, Anna Nicole Smith is pronounced dead in Florida. And the question of why nobody called 911 is still unanswered today. But the death of Anna Nicole Smith really did become a tabloid TV goldmine. Of course, every single piece of her death was publicized and sold, and that includes the autopsy report. And in her autopsy, she it says that she had that chloral hydrate, which is that one that she would drink the whole bottle of, Benadryl, Clonopin, Valium, Nordiazepam, Temaz, I don't even know how to say these, Temazepam, Oxazepam, and Lorazepam. Like all of those, which it seems like one of those is a lot for a human body. She had all of those. And she also had a stomach flu and she had an abscess on her side from where she got that infected shot. Also, she had Hashimoto's, which was an autoimmune disease. Basically, she should have been diagnosed with that really early on in her life. And it probably would have saved her a lot of pain and probably saved her life. Because had she been diagnosed with this autoimmune disease, she probably wouldn't have done all of the things that she did, like get breast implants, like lose all that weight, like start with the prescription drugs. She was trying to do anything she could to feel better, when in reality, she had been misdiagnosed from the beginning. Of course, Howard can't stay out of the spotlight for too long, so he begins a long legal battle against Virgie, who is Anna Nicole's mom, about where to bury her, and of course, 
everything about this is televised. All of the court proceedings. I'm sure Howard's doing plenty of interviews. And the judge ends up ruling that she should be buried by her son who's buried in the Bahamas. Mind you, the paternity test for Danny Lynn has still not been done. Not only has the paternity test not been done, but the estate battle with Pierce is still pending, meaning that the paternity test is extremely important to a potential payoff. There were four people who were claiming that they were the father of Anna Nicole's child. Howard K. Stern, Larry Burkhead, Mark Hatton, who was her ex-boyfriend, who who claimed that he gave Anna Nicole frozen sperm. There was even a fourth person who was claiming the child, Prince Alexander von Anhalt, who is most famously known as Zsa Zsa Gabor's fourth husband, who no doubt said this to get attention, like 100%. So Howard is in the Bahamas with Danny Lynn during all of this, and legally there, he is the father because that's what's on the birth certificate, and that's what was said when Danny Lynn was born. Larry's lawyer is able to get Howard to agree to a paternity test, but before Howard is forced to do anything, he ends up taking a sample from Danny Lynn, giving it to the lab, and Larry Burkhead is declared the father. So he's reunited with Danny Lynn the next day. Uh, They say that Howard remained supportive and even showed Larry kind of Danny Lynn's routine and how to take care of her. I don't know. I feel like Howard is just kind of a self-serving dickhead. So obviously anything that was going to make him look good, he was willing to do. And in 2009, Howard and Aroshevitz, the doctor, were actually tried and convicted for getting Anna's prescription drugs under a different name. They ended up appealing, saying that they were protecting her identity and the conviction was thrown out. No other criminal charges have been brought against Howard K. Stern or Christine Aroshevitz. Danny Lynn does live with her dad, Larry. She's only 15 now, which I think is why she's very much hidden from the spotlight. I'm really curious to see what happens with her when she turns 18, if she decides to pursue a career in entertainment. If she doesn't, I actually looked her up on Instagram and she shares an Instagram with her dad. So it seems like he's keeping things pretty locked down, which I respect. I totally, I totally get wanting to protect your child from the media storm that her mom had to go through. So there is the life story of Anna Nicole Smith. And I always feel like there's a million different things to learn from these, but I keep being taught time and time again to never assume that you know what somebody was like just because we heard about them in the tabloids. I think that Anna Nicole was very misunderstood and at her core was just a really, really, really good person who wanted to take care of the people around her, wanted to be a good mom and wanted to be a good person. So I was thrilled to learn about her and I hope you were too. Uh, That's all I have for you today. So remember to be safe, be kind, be hot and uh, subscribe, rate, review. And I'll see you next week for a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast and on TikTok at Bad Broad. I will see you on Monday. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.